You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. So we are week four of our seven-week series called Seven Parables, Guiding Your Steps. And I just want you to know that we are going to provide you guys with bonus material. We are going to cover more than seven parables. In fact, this week alone, we're going to cover six. Well, kind of. Last week, Logan talked about the very front end of of Matthew 13, the the parable of the sower. And uh, this week's parables are the next six parables. Now, we're going to have to take two weeks to talk about this. I tried to cram 10 pounds in a five-pound bucket, and I couldn't do it. So we're splitting this up into two sermons because I love you guys. But um, so we're looking at seven parables as one story. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. But last week, last week, Jesus said, that people that represent the path, they don't understand when the word is given to them, they don't understand and the evil one snatches it away. Do you remember how the evil one snatched it away? Birds, with birds. That was an excellent bird. (laughs) Kudos to you, Logan Daly. Um, And then the rocky soil These people understand but have no depth and cannot withstand hardship. Those with thorny soil understand but cannot let go of their idolatry and they get distracted by their idolatry and that causes problems. And then there's the good soil. Uh, These people, they understand and they do something about what they understand. They, They hear God's word and they do something with God's word and they produce a crop. And Logan said the implication is that Christ invites you to improve the soil of your heart. He invites you to improve the soil of your heart. We need to understand that the protagonist of this story, the one sowing the seed is not not Rob as the preacher. I could act like God. I could I could partner with God, but ultimately it is God who sows. Um, And oh, by the way, you might find this interesting. If you read the Greek uh, or English translations, uh, sometimes add some things so that we could better understand what's being said. But in the Greek, Jesus never says seeds in the sower story. That might be significant. In fact, he awkwardly doesn't talk about seeds. It's kind of like when you have little kids and mom and dad, you know, you kind of want to go, you know, have some fun, wink, wink, nod, nod. And you want to talk about having fun without telling the kids that you're going to go have fun. Jesus has the conversation about the sower in that way. He awkwardly talks about sowing seeds with never saying the word seeds, not once. That might be important. So, 
The question that I want us to wrestle with this morning as we get into this next sixth set of parables, which I believe are part of the original parable that Logan presented last week, when Jesus leads you to a path that you don't expect, will you still follow? Will you still go where he is leading? I remember in my 20s, over and over and over again, I'd be reading the scriptures and I'd come to something like, oh man, that seems hard. I, are you serious? <laughs> I can, and I could just, I remember the feeling in my stomach where I just, I knew that I, this was a Y in the road. I'd have to make a decision. Jesus went to the left and am I going to, continue to the right, that the path I want to go is, is the right, the path I've always taken is to the right, but Jesus goes left, and am I going to go with him? Because I guarantee you, this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples absolutely challenged them to the core of their being. This was not an easy conversation. They had to make a decision. Would they still follow? So last week, Logan, again, he shared the parable of the sower. We're going to start in verse 24. We're going to start with, this, with the parable of the tares and the wheat. Jesus presented a, another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in this field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprout and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landover came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in the bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then he tells us this parable about the mustard seed. He presented Another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in the branches. So Jesus tells a parable about the sower, never says the word seeds, not once. Look at, look at it in the Greek. I could show you how it's easy. Um, never says seeds once, awkwardly talks about seeds with saying, without saying seeds, and then the next two parables are about seeds. He might be connecting these parables together. He might be chaining a number of parables together. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And then we're going to get told why Jesus is talking in parables. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in the parables. 
and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. If you remember last week, we were told a parable. We were told why he speaks in parables, and then we were given an explanation about the parable. I wonder what comes next. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parables of the terrors of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are all sons of the kingdom, and the terrors are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will be sent forth, will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. That's an important phrase. Hang on to that. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven, that's an interesting pattern, is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. Huh, that came up again. In the place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's interesting that last parable there, he kind of gives an explanation. It seems similar to the explanation of another parable that we just read. We'll get to that. So that's our parables. There's seven parables in total. When I read this, where did it all, yeah. When I first read this, I started wrestling with this a week ago. I printed this off and initially I started with verse 24 and went on through the rest because Logan Preach the first 23 verses. Okay, I'll, reach, I'll preach the next set of verses. We'll just divide and conquer. But as I started numbering things and going, wait a minute, there's six parables and, jo- and he just preached a parable. Wait, that's seven parables. Maybe I need his too. And so I reprinted it and I was looking at this thing. I stared at this thing over and over and over again because there's a picture here. But we'll get to that. We have to understand that Matthew, as he writes about his rabbi, uses rabbinical tools to do so. He learned certain things 
out of the way. Jesus had conversations with him as a rabbi, as the son of God, authoritatively talking about what it means to be part of God's kingdom. By the way, the evil things get pulled out of the kingdom, not the kingdom people pulled out of our present circumstances. Think about that. But Matthew writes like a rabbi. He uses rabbinical teaching methods. So these seven parables, I don't know if Jesus spoke them all in one day or over a week or over several weeks, but Matthew puts them together as one body of work. And David Stern will tell you that in the book of Matthew, there are five teaching sections. The first one you might think of would be the Sermon on the Mount. The last one you might think of is when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's talking to his disciples before he is betrayed. We're going to talk about that section uh, during uh, Lent. But this is the third of five major teaching sections, according to David Stern. So that's significant. And the fact that these seven are put together in the way that they're put together, in a minute we'll take a look at a, at a word picture to help us to see that. But we also need to understand that who the protagonist is in each of these stories. Who is the main character? God is the sower in the parable that Logan presented last week. He's the sower of the good seed in the first parable that I presented. He is the woman hiding leaven into bread. And that's interesting use of that word hiding. Why hiding? We don't hide leaven in bread, right? We wouldn't talk about it that way. It's a little strange use of that word. Uh, finding treasure that was hidden. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Maybe a connection. Looking for pearls. He's the one looking for pearls. And he's the one drawing in the dragnet. God is the protagonist in each of these seven stories. So when we read the story about the sower presented last week, it's not Rob sowing the seed. It's God sowing the seed. And we have to read the story that way. Now, can I participate in that? Do I think the kingdom of heaven is a great treasure? And when I find it, I should sell everything I got to be a part of it? Absolutely. But I need to read it as God, as the one who finds the great treasure, because that is the intent of the rabbi. And we have to know that. Look at this picture. This is a diagram. Uh, I actually found this on Wikipedia. But um, Marty Solomon has actually seen both the wheat and the tares. I guess the one on the left is the tares. The one on the right is the wheat. And uh, Logan talked about pulling weeds out of the garden. I can never tell which was which. I would have pulled both of these bad boys. They would have just all been gone. <laughs> but that's what that looks like. There's some problems that we see, that I see, that Logan and I saw as we wrestled through this text. And we wanted to just kind of highlight some of these because whenever you see these problems, um, the rabbis 
trying to draw your attention to something. So why explain this second parable? Logan said last week that only two parables and all the scriptures are explained and they're both in this section of work. And none of the other gospel writers that write some of these same parables, that document some of these same parables, choose to explain them. Matthew thinks it's significant to do so. And so we should pay attention to that. And I imagine that the disciples asked about every parable, not just two. What sort of explanation is this? It, Jesus doesn't seem to stop. Wow. That was fun. Uh, Jesus doesn't seem to stop with an explanation. He seems to add more information than what we had with just the parable. And that could be significant. How does a plant become a tree? I've never seen that happen before. The smallest plant becomes the biggest tree. Huh, weird. Why birds? And weren't the birds, what's that sound again, Logan? Yeah, that sound. Weren't birds in the first parable taking away, stealing the seed out of people's lives? Like that doesn't sound kosher. Play on words, I like it. Um, Why leaven? From a Jewish standpoint, you would never think of, of God hiding leaven in the kingdom of heaven because leaven is associated with sin. We'll talk more about that next week. And then the guy that finds treasure in someone else's field and then he hides it and he goes and, and he buys that field. There's something off there. Like that's the trope of every 80s movie I ever saw. Some, somebody finds oil on, on grandma and grandpa's farm and grandma and grandpa, they just want a farm. They don't care about oil. They just want to live peacefully and at one with the animals and, and uh, someone's trying to, you know, get them off the farm so that they can have that oil. Like this, that's a strange story. Why would you buy only one pearl? Why would you sell everything you got just to have a pearl? Everything? Like, don't we diversify? Aren't we supposed to diversify our, our savings? And why include the angels in the last parable? What's that got to do with fish? It's weird. All right. Well, we may answer some of these questions. Who knows? Let's look at the next slide. Because there's a word picture here. This, this story is, is organized as a picture. Remember last week we were told a parable. We were um, given an explanation of why Jesus speaks in parables. And then the parable is explained, right? So if you put that on top, it's up there. You just can't see it. So last week's pattern is repeated. Some parables are told, are, are given. We're told why. 
and then we're given the explanation of the parable. But this in itself is a chiasm. The terror story and the dragnet story, they both are about end times. They both have this phrase that we'll take a look at of a hot furnace. It's hard to read. Your blue is hard to read. The mustard seed and the costly pearl. Mustard seed produces the biggest tree. You got the biggest pearl. Leaven is, is hidden. The treasure is hidden. These are, are connected. And then the top three parables are told. The beginning starts out in a, in a particular way. The bottom three parables are started out. They're told in a particular way. And oh, by the way, these bottom parables are connected to that very first parable, parable number one. It's almost like Matthew is saying, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, you can't use one parable to talk about it. One parable is insufficient to give you a clear enough picture. And I'm not even sure that even all these parables is enough, but this is a complete thought that Matthew is trying to present us. And so we, can we just read one parable at a time and get some good things out of it? Yes. Will we miss something? It's like, it's like who, who has to finish the puzzle? Who has to make sure that every last piece of the puzzle gets plugged in? Nobody in this room? I'm more the guy that takes the one piece and hides it. Yes. There's two kinds of people. <laughs> you could read one parable at a time, but that's just like staring at one piece of a puzzle. We're being presented a bigger picture here. Next week, we will talk about the two small treasures, and we'll talk about the, uh, or the two small parables and the, and the two treasure parables. This week, we're going to talk about the two harvest parables. Now, in Matthew 13, 36 to 43, we get an explanation of this parable of the wheat and the tares. And we're told that there are the good and the bad, the, the tovah and the ra'ah, the, the good and the evil. And the wheat represents those who belong to the kingdom, and the tares represent those who do not belong to the kingdom. But there's a season where God has decided that they should grow up side by side. That they should coexist. And that we shouldn't try to separate them out. Which I think goes against our inclinations. In fact, we got to be careful because it's not our job to determine who is in and who is out. It's just our job to grow up. It's our job to mature. And Israel didn't always get this right. And we see that a number of ways in the scriptures. If you had something bad happen to you from a Jewish mindset, God must be mad at you. You must be evil. But there's a larger conversation that we see over and over and over again in the scriptures 
where Jesus is determined by some to not be part of God's plan because he doesn't keep Sabbath the way they expect. He heals people on Sabbath. And that doesn't match their theological statement. And they don't know what to do with that. And in the Christian world, we do some similar things. There's been a time and a season where if you had tattoos and piercings, that there's no way you could be part of God's kingdom. If you smoke or drink, there's no way you could be part of God's kingdom. If you got pregnant out of wedlock, if you got a divorce, if you struggle with homosexuality, there's just no way you could be part of God's kingdom. And too often we've allowed one mistake completely define whether or not that person was in or out in our minds. And I think this parable tells us that we can't do that. Maybe they haven't fully grown. Maybe they haven't fully matured. Maybe, maybe we're being presumptive. And maybe we're not seeing things the way God sees them. And then you have the dragnet parable. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Oh, let me back up. I missed one. Uh, at the end of the age, there's a furnace of fire in the explanation of the, the terrors. We also see that in the dragnet parable. And again, you have the tovah and you have the ra'ah. You have the good fish and you have the wicked fish fish. But again, they live side by side until the end of the age. They weren't supposed to be separated until the end of the age. But again, you have that furnace of fire. Now to understand the dragnet conversation, because the we, we, get the, we get the wheat and the tares conversation, right? Oh, there's good people, there's bad people. And of course, you know, the good people, they need to stay and the bad people, they need to go. Like, we get that conversation. That one makes sense. I think the dragnet conversation is a little confusing unless we jump back in Ezekiel 4, the Old Testament. And I'm not going to read this to you, but in Ezekiel 47, we get this picture where there's water flowing, water flowing from the temple. And as the water flows from the temple, fish fill it. Now that, that water flowing from the temple is this picture of, of providing life. In Israel, without water, you have famine. Without water, you don't survive. And this picture, this is towards the end of Ezekiel. And, and Ezekiel saying, one day again, the temple, 
God's people will provide, there'll be a source of life. There'll be a, a true worship that provides life. And we're told at the end of this story that their fish will be according to their kinds, like fish of the great sea, very many. And that there'll be spreading of nets, Ezekiel tells us. And so people will be drawing in these fish. But we have to understand that anytime Ezekiel talks about animals in his stories, like we asked the question, why birds of the air? Why, why is the tree? Why are we being told that birds are going to land on a tree? Of course, birds land on trees. Like, you don't have to tell us that, right? Except for Ezekiel 17 talks about birds of the air finding shade. And so if Jesus is connecting his parables to Ezekiel, then the birds and the fish represent all the people of the world. And so in this parable of the dragnet, I think the question that Jesus is addressing with his disciples is, yes, the Gentiles are part of the kingdom. But think about this. It'll take 20 years after Christ's resurrection before the church fully embraces the Gentiles. It'll take 20 years before the uh, Jerusalem Council. It'll take 20 years for them to fully receive Gentiles in as equal partners within the church. I wonder what is it going to take you and I 20 years to come to grips with? Was it what presupposition, what what thing that we, we hang our hat on theologically, is it going to take 20 years before God gets chisels <laughs> passed in our heart so that he could find fresh ground? He could find good soil so that we could start producing fruit. Because David Stern will tell you that the rest of Matthew from 13 on the Gentiles become a bigger part of the conversation. Prior to 13, Jesus doesn't really talk about the Gentiles. After 13, it's a nonstop conversation that the Gentiles are part of the kingdom. And yet it would take the disciples who loved Jesus, who were the foundation of the church from a human perspective, 20 years to come to grips with that and to fully embrace it. We're told that there's going to be good fish and wicked fish. And, and again, we have to picture nations, nations upon nations upon nations, every tribe, every tongue. And, and I think that the church has wrestled with that same wrestle too, not, not just the Jewish church, but the Gentile church has wrestled with that. Phil Piancy talks about a church that he grew up in in the 60s in Georgia, where they would send people around the world for missions. But if 
people of color came walking through their door, they'd kindly invite them to attend the church down the street. There's the people that are in, and then there's the people that have an asterisk next to their name. And Jesus says, I don't classify them that way. Every tribe, every tongue. Our church has this core value that the church is a unity of different members loving each other and working together for a greater purpose. Everyone has a voice and a role. We will build a community of people of different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, and social economic standings. And every person online and every person in this room, we have to own this. If anybody of any ethnicity, of, of, of any culture, of any tongue, is going to feel safe to enter these doors and uh, partner with us in doing ministry without having to change their culture. It's going to be because you and I made that possible. The first church wrestled with that. It took them 20 years. How long will it take us? In this whole conversation, when you have the evil and the good coexisting, whether, whether you talk about the first parable or the second parable with the wheats and the tares or the, or the fish, that becomes a challenging conversation. How do you do that well? Because as parents, when there's a kid on the street, on the block that you just know is trouble, what's the first thing you do? You separate your kids from them, right? Isn't that the most logical thing? Like, don't let, don't let Jake and Josh play with Johnny. Johnny's trouble. It's the most natural thing to do. In fact, Ezekiel was one of the favorite Essene uh, prophets. That the Essenes were known for isolating themselves from their community. And Jesus had some Essene influence, probably some very strong Essene influence, and, and his Essene brothers would not have valued this conversation. Like, they would have struggled with this conversation. They would have struggled with, are we going to continue going with Jesus? But there's this phrase that keeps coming up. Let's take a look at this next slide. And they'll be thrown, and they will throw them into furnace of fire. In the Greek, that exact phrase, furnace of fire, is found in the scriptures. One other spot. Daniel 3. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into to the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. What does it look like to be in the world but not of the world. We have that phrase, right? What does it look like to be in the world, but not of the world? And maybe Daniel is that picture. Where Daniel doesn't isolate and he doesn't assimilate, but he lives with 
perseverance. He lives with faithfulness. And if we're going to coexist with the evil and the good side by side, and we're going to rub shoulders, we're going to have to be like Daniel. We're going to have to be like Daniel. We have this picture of uh, the blue tassel. In the book of Numbers, the Israelites are told that they're to wear tassels on the four corners of their shirt garment. And so if you've seen Marty Solomon, he has tassels that come down the front and the back, four corners. And they're told about these tassels that there's supposed to be a blue one. And that's all they're, they're, they're all told. One blue one and the rest is left up to your imagination. What the rabbis determined is that there would be 12 tassels. 11 are white and one are blue. Because there's one tribe of Levites, and then you have the other 11 tribes, but also because we are a kingdom of priests, and blue is a picture of what it means to be a priest, and we are to be a blue tassel in a white tassel world. We are to represent our God so that other people can join in with us and hopefully grow up like we're hoping to grow up to bear fruit worth keeping. And maybe if we're a blue tassel in a white tassel world and we live that out really well, not isolating, not assimilating, but persevering, then maybe God can use us to help others connect to who he is and live for the kingdom. Implications as Christ invites you to embrace his kingdom values. Of the two paths that are before you, you could either go down the path that you've always gone down or the one that Christ leads you through. The one that Christ walks on, the narrow path. That'll be hard to find. We're going to have to be that blue tassel. And we're going to have to invite in every race, every tongue, every culture as full partners. We have to live out Daniel's example. Some next steps. These probably look similar to last week's because they are. Anchor yourself in the word of God. Anchor yourself in the word of God. We need, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I have to come to God's word on a daily basis to remind myself of who he is. You could do that by literally reading it. You could listen to it on tape, CD, on your iPhone. But we need to engage with God's word on a regular basis. And we need to do it within community too, because I could get it wrong. By myself, I could miss something. I learn things every week in my care group. I learn things every week in my life transforming group through my partners, through those who I wrestle with scripture. When we sit down to talk about script, uh, 
the sermon, we don't do that in isolation. We do that as a group so that we have different perspectives. We need to anchor ourselves in the word of God in community. And then remove the rocky places and the weeds that hinder you from delving deep roots and chokes out what God is doing in your life. And maybe the rocky places and the weeds are related to how we see people, how we see people's mistakes, who we decide is in or out. Maybe it's the way we deal with the issue of race. Maybe it has to do with our prejudices. Maybe it has to do with the people groups that we won't associate with. Maybe it has to do with the particular sin that someone has, has taken part of that we just think is beyond God's hope, beyond God's grace. Maybe those are the rocky places, and maybe those are the weeds that Jesus wants us to consider. And then finally, share the blessing in the crop. Because whether you're talking about fish or you're talking about wheat, these were staples of the Galilean diet where Jesus is giving these parables. Things that help people to live. We need to help people live. We need to take what God has given us and help people to see how beautiful it is, how amazing it is, that there is an enemy of our souls that would seek to kill and destroy. That our lives are more than physical electrons bumping up against each other, but there's a spiritual reality to who we are. We need to share those things with people so that they could grow up to be worthy of the kingdom too. So they can mature. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.